1: Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. It is Thursday, May 14th, in the year 2020, in the midst of an epidemic, unfortunately. But we've got some good news for horse racing fans. We've got a good horse racing show today, and we've got some horse racing coming up this weekend. A lot to talk about. We're going to be joined at the top of the show by high-percentage-winning trainer Richard Baltus, who is of the Southern California District uh, Circuit. Uh, you know, as a pretty prevalent trainer here in Santa Anita, Del Mar, and he shipped out some horses to Oakland this year, so we'll ask him about that. We'll ask him about what it means for Santa Anita to finally be back open again. Um, a lot of people are excited about that. We'll also be joined by TVG's George Ordozar He is uh, known to many in the poker world, in the horse racing world, etc. So, um, Gino, we're going to be... Talking a lot of Santa Anita, yeah. But what does it mean to you being like you live? You've you grew up basically in in Santa Anita's backyard. What's it meant to you? That this is really the first time in your life when there's supposed to be a
2: meet going on that it didn't happen. Like the well, day you were born, like every un, 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 unfortunately, that's in the last couple of years that hasn't actually been the case. You know, last year because the deaths yeah. last sure, year, sure. you know, which is sad. You know, but um, but. Being being back is huge. And what what what, what I, we all wanted to see was um, Santa Anita was willing to make changes. They were willing to make adjustments to the, the protocols to get this back and running because they're this isn't a normal sport. Mike, you know, this isn't baseball, basketball, football. Every day, these horses are going to be getting cared for. They need to be fed. They need to be exercised. They need to be trained. So there's always going to have to be people there at the track. That's why the, the racetrack is so different than any other sport. When you're comparing what's going on with the virus and the shutting down, and and we've now, unfortunately for Santa Anita, a couple of other tracks were were the ones that showed the template and said, "Hey, look, we we're able to do things at these racetracks where um they've they've been able to operate safely." So as fans, that's. I love what they've done. It stinks. It's been bad. I'm sure for a lot of people that have been struggling business wise. And we're going to talk with our first guest, who I believe we have on the line. But uh, everybody's very excited, and I'll tell you, man, the, the the gamblers are very excited too because um, we have huge fields and and some really good racing to kick off this weekend.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think anybody who's been <laughs> stuck at home and and and. Probably sucked into maybe playing some races or some tracks that they normally wouldn't have played. Is really excited to have the big stage back at Santa Anita, West Coast. You know, uh, Gulfstream's been kind of the closest thing, maybe a little bit, you know, uh, Tampa right now. It was great when we had Oakland, but. You know, I'm already fiending for getting some of these other tracks back. And it was welcome sight, by the way, to see Golden Gate back going again today. So that was good stuff there. And I know that that pick six uh, pool got pretty large. Maybe we could talk about that after the second break or maybe chat a little bit with George. But like you mentioned, we've got our first guest on hold. That is Richard Baltus, trainer, big time winner, all levels, Santa Anita and beyond. Richard, good afternoon. Hey, Richard. On to the mic and Gino. Gino.
3: I'm doing good. I just had to get out of the car. Um, oh no! Worries. Doing well, good. So, what's you what's excitement right? level
1: like for you? That uh, you know, we we're finally back up and running again, or at the eve of.
3: Yeah, I mean, God, you know, we were we were shut down a while back, and um, actually, I was walking my horses to the paddock that morning. I mean, that afternoon, and then we got the word that we were shut down, and you know, I had an eight to five favorite in the first race, and. You know, you just walk back to the barn, and you know everything stopped, and uh, so we we were like, you know, we we're out of work. The owners are getting a little bit upset, and you know nobody can make any money, and um, yeah, it was it's it was tough, you know. And then thank God I had some horses that were already at Oakland Park. I got to run a few there, and, uh, I, and I'm just happy that we're back at uh, Santa Anita again, starting tomorrow. So- so just so that some of our listeners, we've got a lot of horse racing fans on the list, but we
1: also have some football fans and, and just sports fans in general that may not know the ins and outs of horse racing. If you could just kind of walk us through what does a shutdown like this mean for an operation uh, of your size? And, what, you know, how does that change things on a daily basis when it's a waiting and a holding pattern? You don't know when they're going to race next. How does that affect your training of these horses?
3: Yeah, well, you know what? Some of the owners, uh, took they, they took their horses to the farms. They wanted to give them a rest because they didn't want to really pay the bills on them. And um, that's understandable. And, you know, the horses still have to go through their daily routine. I mean, obviously, the staff is the same. Uh, basically, didn't lose any staff. I just uh, trained some horses a little bit lighter, maybe didn't work them as much. But they still... They still went out to the track and trained and, you know, a couple of horses that maybe have been like, oh, should I give this horse a rest or not? I've, I sent some of them to the farm, you know, so um, basically they're all ready to go. And we just got the word yesterday. Even though we entered, we didn't have the word from the L.A. County that we were running, but we got the word last night. And uh, so all the guesswork's over. We'll start up tomorrow, and, and I think everybody's going to be happy.
2: Um, any, uh, specifics I wanted to ask about a, a couple, um, big horses, uh, of yours, uh, in particular, uh, Venetian Harbor who took on great stakes company in the fantasy last time out. And then, uh, Tyshawn who was in one of the Arkansas derbies who, um, I was, I was pretty high on and didn't really just didn't really show up that day. Um, how, how have they come out of the, their races from a few weeks ago? And, and do you have any kind of tentative plans? I know the schedule has been moving yeah. around so much any idea about where we might see them show up next?
3: Yeah, uh, well, Venetian Harbour is back at Santa Anita. She came out of the race well. Um, just gave her like a week and a half off, two weeks off, just walking, and uh, she'll be going to the track next week, early next week, and uh, Tyshawn, I just gave him a little rest on the farm. Um, you know, he ran back a little bit quick off that allow uh, stakes when he ran third. He ran back in like two and a half weeks, three weeks, and um, he didn't get the best trip, but, you know, he ran into a really tough horse in the Dell, and Uh, he's fine. You know, he's always, I was thinking about turf for him, maybe because he's a twirling candy. I think he can run on both surfaces. Um, So, he's just getting a little break as well. They're both healthy. And, uh, I'm thinking Venetian, I'm not sure. I just got to talk to the clients, but, you know, there's so many things that are up in the air. I mean, I would think the main objective would be to win a grade one with her. And she's got a lot of natural speed. I think that's, she, she would really fit, I think, in the Acorn if they run that, the one turn mile, or the test, yeah. the seven eighths, another grade one race. I mean, I think she'd be very tough to beat in those kind of, kind of spots. I still think she can go, to, you know, a mile and an eighth, a mile and sixteenth, but the other day she went really, really quick. I think she went mm-hmm. 22, 45, 109, and, uh, you know, the other horse just ran a huge race. So actually, we still got a good number. We got like a eight, seven and a, seven and a half or an eight on the rag. So, uh, yeah, I think we're I think we're in good shape with her.
1: Hey Richard, generally speaking, when you're talking about uh, you know a couple of months for for an entire barn, I remember a couple of years ago uh, hearing about some of like the East Coast tracks when they take the winter off you know, let's just even take like a smaller track like a finger lakes or something like that. Typically they start off a lot of they card a lot of four and a half furlong races anyways, but especially so early in the meet so that the horses kinda of, kinda of get their legs back underneath them. Do you kinda of look for some of the shorter races, uh, you know, when when there's been so much time off in between, or does that come into play for you as a trainer at all? Um, you know, what are your no. thoughts about that?
3: No, not at all. I don't really think so with me because you know, I, I always try to train my horses to go around the ground, and uh, I don't know, a lot of people think that I'm more of a grass trainer than a dirt trainer. I don't really agree with that, but, um, you know, I think horses that run in short distances are horses that are short-distance horses. Um, you know, you've got horses that are sprinters, and you got horses that are routers. and You know, once they're fit, they're they're either a sprinter or a router, I don't think, you know, there's difference in training. Yeah, Obviously, when you train a sprinter, you don't, you don't gallop on this far and stuff like that. But um, that really doesn't make any difference. Right now, we're looking at two-year-olds starting. So, yeah, obviously, the four-and-a-half furlong races are going to come into play. The five-eighths races are going to come into play. And, um, other than that, everything is uh, pretty good.
1: Do you have some names, two-year-olds, that we should look out for?
3: Oh, Who are you on, hi- you in like, your barn? Two, uh, two-year-olds. Well, I, I I, just have some coming from Ocala this week. I have a half-sister to Gas Station Sushi. I bought a uh, half-sister by Frosted, half-sister to Io Tappa. Um So you've been seeing, uh, which uh, is Nyquist nice, is LA. that... W-
2: um, over the last couple of years, like for you, as the numbers have gone off, it's definitely looked like the stock has absolutely raised for you and you've been able to get a bit more numbers, more owners in and probably just a better quality overall of horses.
3: Yeah, I mean that's the whole idea is to get quality horses and you know, to be in the big races and as you know, when the horses are worth so much more money when you're, you know, running in graded stakes and You always get offers. People always want the good horses. And the owners, sometimes they can hit a home run, you know? So when you're running out here in California against Bob Baffer, you better have some good horses.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, Richard, I don't know if you know this or not. You probably do. But did you know that your earnings have gone up 10 years in a row? Every single year that's past you've made more than the prior year all the way starting yeah. from i'm talking about 400 bucks back in 2009 all the way up to yeah, 7.3 million
3: yeah like last year was really good i i think a lot of people don't know my whole story that you know i w- i was a trainer i was i was a groom i i did it from the bottom up and and i had some lean years where you know when you're a smaller trainer and you're starting to get start, get started, it's, it's hard. And, you know, you just need one client not to pay you and, and, you know, a lot of guys just, you know, still make any money. And I was always willing to take a step back and be an assistant trainer. I would train twice and I stopped training and then I went to be an assistant trainer and I just figured, you know what, I'd rather make a little money than starve to death. So, I always loved the horses and the horse business. So, you know, being an assistant trainer to Tommy Skiffington or Richard Mandela or whoever I worked for, it wasn't a step down to me. It was, a, it was a step in the right direction. You know, you're always learning in this game. You're always learning from different horsemen. So I think it makes you a better, better horseman overall. And, uh, you know, when I came back out, I actually worked for Southern Equine for a while, and, you know, this guy was me really good. And when I came back home to California... I was working for Barry Abrams as an assistant trainer. And I left Barry and then things started taking off. I even started winning races and everything just started happening. A little better Do horse, you remember- like you said, you buy a little better horse every year.
2: Do you remember like feeling at, at the point where, that there was like a turning point? I think cause for me with you and kind of watching how your career has grown, it felt like right around that big mocker time when things started to really take off for you, was was that like one of those horses maybe that, that you think kind of helped really jumpstart things because that, that felt like, yeah. Okay. We're really starting to see someone now on, on the big scale who can get these horses ready and who can improve horses and who can play with the big boys.
3: Yeah. Uh, you know, big Mucker was a big turning point. He was a horse that um, brought a lot of attention and it was, you know, he was a, the type of horse that, you know, he went all the way to b- winning the Bing Crosby to going to Dubai World Cup, World, Cup, whatever, the Golden Shaheen. You know, and when you're in those kind of races, people notice you and, you know, you start getting more business. And it was a slow process. And, um, you start buying your horses from Europe. Like Lady Prancila, we bought for, I don't know, $70,000. And she raised one winner. And, uh, yeah, it's just you got to do the right thing for the horse and take your time. And and hopefully you you start getting better horses.
1: Richard, uh, we only have time for a couple of quick questions. I'm going to ask you just as a horse racing fan that I assume that you are being in the business. What are your thoughts just about the delay in the Triple Crown races You know, we've got the Kentucky Derby obviously slotted for the uh, Labor Day weekend, I believe, first weekend of September. Do you have any thoughts on what does that mean for a three-year-old's development between May and September? Uh, When do you think then on that basis that the Preakness and the Belmont should be run? I know there's a lot of talk among social media, and I think there was even a poll up on Pollock Report about whether – the, the, the distance of the Belmont should be altered or not K- keeping in mind that we're going to have the Breeders' Cup a short time after. What are your thoughts just about all of this as a whole?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's really no choice. I mean, I think the Derby was such a big event for Churchill. I mean, it's 175,000 people that go there. I mean, um, are they, are they going to be able to put those people in the stands again? I don't know. I, I doubt it, but, um, as far as a horse developing, yeah, they develop as they go along. You've, you've seen horses win Breeders' Cups that were that were three year olds that come in November, and they beat older horses. So they're you know the longer you wait, the more the horses develop, and and if you can keep them sound, I mean, I think there's horses like AP Indy that. I don't know. I think he ended up being horse of the year, and he had to scratch out of the Kentucky Derby. And he, I don't know if he won the Breeders' Cup Classic or what, but he won a bunch of races after he scratched out of the Derby, and he developed later. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the Breeders' Cup, oof, I don't know. I think the Breeders' Cup and the Derby are going to be being so close together. It's going to be a very unusual thing yeah it sure is. I definitely think no, that hey, the three year- olds are gonna be like really good at that time in uh, September yeah
1: I mean it should be uh it should be an exciting time because it's something that we've none of us have ever experienced or witnessed so hey Richard we're we're almost at the commercial but I wanted to really quickly give you an opportunity to educate the the fans the listeners a little bit. You and I had talked had spoken uh, earlier. Uh, on the phone, and you gave me a lot of insight into the uh, Velvet Queen situation. Maybe you could take a minute and just yeah. kind of educate the fans about the testing levels and and just kind of the changes that happened in the state of California. Maybe you could walk us through that real quick.
3: Yeah. So Velvet Queen, she had a positive test for clenbuterol, which was 14 picograms, um, which is like a really small amount. Um, you know, last year in 2019, the the l- normal threshold was 140 picograms. So, you imagine having the the level change to zero tolerance in 2020 and having the only... This California is really the only state in the union, a horse racing union, that has a zero tolerance for Climberall. So, basically... Uh, I had a horse that was in San Luis Ray Equine Clinic in a hyperbaric chamber because he was a bleeder. His name was Proverbs. And um, he was on a vet's list because he bled a little bit out of the nose when he ran in a test barn. And then we sent him down there for some therapy, you know, to clean up his lungs and stuff. And the veterinarian said, well, I'll put him on Climbuterol, which we did. And my barn made a mistake at San Luis Ray. Now, I don't know how it got in the horse system. I have a pretty good idea. I don't really want to and all that. But that being said, um, you know, it was a test. It was a low, low amount. I didn't want to fight it. I, I know I just take two, two weeks to talk to the uh, racing commission about it and they were good with it. And, you know, hey, people make mistakes. I don't think it's, uh, Anybody that knows a fellow horseman or anybody that knows anything about the business, when you get into these levels of zero tolerance, you know, and, and you had also remember it's an uh, approved drug by the veterinarians. It's, it's, it's not a, an illegal substance, you know? So uh, I, See, if good the,
1: it, I so, so if it was in another jurisdiction, so, so if this same test result came back and this was another jurisdiction, it would not have been a problem.
3: No. It wouldn't have been a positive. I mean, I think, like, Canada this year is changing to zero. I think it's the first year Canada is changing it to zero. Actually the horse that was getting the medication, I ended up taking to Oakland Park because, you know, you can give them seven eight, six instead of four or five as women in California. But um, you know the horse ran second? I had to work him off the vets list in, in Oakland to get him off the list in California for being on computer law, And then he passed the test and then I ran him. He ran third and then I ran him again and he won. You know, that horse probably wouldn't have been able to run in California. So well, I was lucky enough that I had a string at Oakland. So that's what happened. You know, I was a little upset at my uh, assistant for making a, a mistake. Uh, we put the proper protocols in and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you you live with. Nobody wants to have anything on the record, but, you know, when you have a little mistake, you move on. I didn't dodge it. I took blame for it. It's my responsibility. I'm the trainer, and that's the way it goes.
1: Well, I think it's, that's all anybody could ask yeah. for is
3: accountability, right? You exactly, know? I mean, and transparency. Yeah. you, know, you got to be accountable. I mean, when you're a trainer, you're accountable for the whole barn, you know? And I, I think... When you're using a substance that is legally subscribed by a veterinarian and they cut the level to zero, hey, that's the rules. The rules are the rules. you got to abide by the rules. And if you make a small mistake, hey, they have rules in place for a reason, so you got to abide by the rules. It was unintentional. It was a mistake, and uh, I want to move on.
2: Awesome. Thank you for telling us that, and appreciate you giving us all that information. That's great, because we just see a positive out there. You never know any of the specifics, so it's great to hear that kind of thing, and uh, it just shows you that uh, we, we love this sport, but there are definitely some things that, that, that could be fixed moving forward. I think that would be a whole other podcast for a different day, Richard. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, guys,
1: for
3: having me on. I appreciate
1: it. Richard, thank you so much. Good luck this uh, upcoming Nita Santa, Nita, and Beyond. Thank you. All right. That's Richard Baltus, Santa Anita trainer. Very informative last uh, component of that interview there, Gino. Let's talk about it after this first commercial break. We'll be right back talking more horse racing, and we'll also have with us George Ortizar.
2: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website catch us live every thursday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific on the voice america variety channel win prizes just for calling in have we got a high energy all access sports show for you This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com.
2: Now, back to this week's program. Really good stuff there from uh, trainer Richard Baltus. And Mike, we're just going to go rapid fire into our next guest, right? I believe we have another one on the line. Why don't you introduce the main man?
1: Yeah, we got George O on the line with us. George actually, uh, hey George, he wanted to be on with us so badly. He what's, called us uh, yesterday twice—once uh, yesterday, once today. George, <laughs> double the pleasure. How are you, buddy? <laughs> hey, George,
4: what's up, T? What's up, Mike? It's great to be on the show. And uh, oh, man, I love listening to uh, your previous guests. You know, I, I worked a lot of horses for him when I was a jockey agent. Just a wonderful trainer, and uh, I'm glad that uh, that we're back at work.
1: Yeah, you know, what do you tell us about that? How long were you a jockey trainer, and and who were who were the uh, or a jockey agent? Excuse me, and who who are the the trainers that you kind of got a lot of your business from, or or you know, did business with?
4: Yeah, I was uh, I was a really mediocre jockey agent. <laughs> I gotta tell you the truth; I was like not my forte, but uh, I had a great time doing it. Uh, I started in Fresno. I had like three jockeys uh, because you gotta have a lot of jockeys up there, and you need to. And uh, then when I came back down here, you know, uh, I was helping, actually, when Joel Rosario first started, me and Vic Stoffer were kind of like uh, co-agents, we're, you know, we were helping them together, and that was spectacular. Uh, some of the, the uh, other jockeys I've had, you know, Saul Arias, and I had Danny Sorensen, and um, uh, you, you, you see, again, not the uh, top, top uh, jockeys, but... You know, trainers like Doug O'Neill always gave me a chance. Doug O'Neill, Barry Abrams was just wonderful with me. Um, you know, somebody, uh, Melanie Collins was was really nice to me. John Sadler was super nice to me, and so uh, you know, you just uh, you start developing friendships, and the, and the stronger the bonds are, you know, the more chances you get. But then again, you know, you're only as good as your jockey is. I mean, uh, the, the top jockeys they get all. You know, they, they usually get all the work in me. Mean, if you just look at Santa Anita's meet uh, before we went to quarantine, I think 55% of all the races were won by Rosario, Pratt, Sadio, uh, and Rispoli. So it was like, you know, those four guys won almost every every race. So uh, always tough to get mounts when you're a jockey agent, but it was a lot of fun. Well,
1: wow, that's an incredible number. I remember there was one meet. Oh, yeah, I don't remember the year, but, you know, I think it was like, you guys would probably have a better idea than me, but it seemed like Pval and Krohn won like every other race at Hollywood Park. <laughs> you know, it's just like you do your pick fours—you go Pval, Crone, and then whatever else you like
2: and and it's been un- yeah. it's unfortunate when the when the fields have in the last couple of years gotten smaller yeah. George has made it even even more difficult right. and that's why we've seen like we've seen some really talented riders like go out to Oakland and be really successful this meet right like guys like Joe Talamo, yeah. Martin Garcia Tyler Bays, they weren't even really getting live mounts yeah you know the uh, the,
4: the the races weren't really uh, big fields so uh it was hard for them to get and these guys were some of these are hall of famers that had to leave this oh, all Joe Talamo, Garcia, some uh some big name jockeys, but you know what? We ain't got no problems with small fields at this weekend. It's gonna no, be off the no. chain this weekend.
2: This is I mean, people have been waiting to run for a long time and these are uh, like the Friday card in gen, like like opening things back up. It's just big field, big field big field, major opportunities. And then what we're going to get now, George, <laughs> because th- this this meet has kind of shrunk down now. You know, we get a couple st- we get some stakes races that begin on Saturday, but like starting next week, it's going to be like some uh, of these really big days where we're going to get like huge stakes cards on some of them. This is going to be a really fun couple months with horses that are all ready to run right now.
4: Now, I was like uh when, when I saw the entries for Friday they had, we got nine races tomorrow, 94 entries. I mean it's looking spectacular and it continues Saturday 10 uh, races, 99 entries, Sunday 10 races, 90 entries. the fields are full there's full of uh, you know wagering opportunities, great value uh, and then again when you come back on on uh, let's say the sixth, that's supposed to be that's going to be a huge day we're gonna have, we're gonna run the derby then it's going to be off the chain. I've been working a lot with San Anita. Before we even get into how great, if if you guys could uh, could bear with me, before how great the racing is going to be, oh, really the job that uh, San Anita has done, and I've been working in tandem with them. I'm the Hispanic ambassador there at San Anita, so you know a lot of the backside workers are you know a lot, mainly speaking Spanish, so I've been helping translate and stuff like that. I mean the job that they've done, the protocols that they put into effect, the safety procedures, are really the strongest of any racetrack in the country. I, I believe, and we, we have. Uh, when I say we, because again, I've been working with Santa Anita uh, so closely. Uh, they built housing uh, just for the jockeys, like uh, like those star tour. Um, you know where the, where the stars get their trailer. You know, so things like that, they, they put together restricting on-site, like a living zone, just for the jockeys, and they're testing uh, for the COVID. Uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, everybody's got to wear a mask. Everybody's got to get tested. Uh, it's just an incredible uh, protocol that they put into place, and, and they did it, like, right away. Uh, up to now, there's been zero, zero confirmed COVID-19 uh, positives. At the track, zero. And, uh, with, and it's with, really and with crazy then, we're talking
2: about 700 people living there, you know, or like, you know, around, you know, between 500 and 1,000 living already there and interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I, I was very pleased. Like, I, we understood why things had to close down, maybe change up a little bit. And, and that's exactly what Santa Anita has done. I mean, they're going to change the way that they saddle the horses. They're not going to be using the saddling enclosure, it's going to be more out in the open. There's going to be less, um, changing of hands for each horse it's going to be like from one groom from the barn to one groom from the racetrack I think you've done everything out there George and Santa Anita has done everything out there George to make even the skeptical people say you know what we can't really complain about what they're doing because they're taking all the necessary precautions and and they got they already have to be there for these horses to be training let's give them the opportunity to run and and see how they do
4: yeah, and safety, you know, is is our first priority for both, you know, human and equine, you know, uh, uh, and and I got to we got to thank Catherine Barger, uh, Barger, who, who uh, went ahead and, and realized that it's essential. Uh, you know, like you said, we've got 750 people, workers living on the track, over 1,700 uh, magnificent thoroughbreds. And, you know, it's not like, you know, okay, well, we close down and we sell appliances. We can put those refrigerators there and nothing's going to happen. These are like living beings, these uh, turbots. They've got to be taken care of. They've got to be fed. They've got to be uh, bathed. They have to be trained or, you know, uh, you know their bodies will, uh, you know, these are athletes that have to stay fit. And so uh, the engine that drives uh, payment for all these employees and for the food and taking care of all these horses is driven through, uh, through wagering. So, uh, it's great that it's back. There's no audience. It's just, uh, they're racing. And, uh, it's just a fantastic to be part of, uh, of this wonderful, uh, horse racing resurgence because so many new people are getting turned on to our sport.
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, before we touch on that for a quick second, you know, you'd mentioned that the engine that drives all of this is the wagering, and I think that that message has become louder and clearer right now in the midst of a health epidemic pandemic. Uh, th- the backstretch workers, their medical insurance, in large part, is dependent on the money that cycles through. Is that correct? Yes. And so that's the last thing that you want is almost a1,000 you know, uninsured, uninsured people back there in the midst of this chaos. So, I mean, it's actually, it's yeah. actually w- w- would be, uh, you know, a, a welfare issue. You know, it's a social issue. It, you know, it's almost like a small little town.
2: Oh, it is. It is. No, it's not even almost, you know, they got the, the food, they, they the <laughs> restaurant back there and they've got everything that they, you know, they need really right there. And, and that's what. I think George, when we've discussed this over the last couple of months, that's what's put horse racing in such a different spot from some of the other sports, right? Cause we can understand why in an enclosed gym, um, why they may not be playing basketball or, you know, football, when there's a lot of players, you know, there's 22 players on the field right off the bat, but horse racing is different. Like it, it's a sport that um, the horses have to be getting out there and they can actually do the social distancing and some of the, the, Precautionary measures pretty well in horse racing. I think better than a lot of other sports could.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said it's like a you know it's like a it's this community that runs this up and and it's funny that that uh, your guest prior to me, his wife runs the kitchen at Santa Anita. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so uh, uh, you know that's kind of uh, curious that uh, he was on, but you know, the uh, California Thoroughbreds. Horseman's Foundation. They got clinics back there. There's always we're always testing everybody. Uh, it's just a uh, you know it, it's just wonderful. So hats off to like Aiden Butler from from, uh, from uh, the Strata Group and, and and all the hard work they've done um, to make sure that uh, you know hopefully it'll stay zero forever. I mean I know, hopefully you know that's the goal. And uh, and again safety is going to be uh, priority number one uh, at San no, Anita.
1: Absolutely. I know you want to or we want to delve into uh, some of the racing action for the weekend. But you'd mentioned about drawing in new fans, new players during this time period. I I really hope that TVG and some of the other, uh, you know, advanced deposit wagering companies release some of the data. I'd be very curious, perhaps maybe we'll see it eventually on Pollock Report or Bloodhorse or or DRF, how many new fans actually did come in. Open accounts and and actually uh, wager. I retweeted something that I saw the other day. I don't know if you guys remember a, uh, a NBA player. He played at U of A years back and uh, was on the Warriors and the Magic. Tom Tolbert. Tom Tolbert is uh, he was actually one of the original like Hall of Fame type callers on the Jim Rome show on the yeah. ju- in the jungle years yeah. back. Great great storyteller. He's a he's a co-host, uh, radio host up in northern California. So uh, me, being from up there, I've always listened to Tom Tolbert. I'll, I'll still even patch into the app and listen to KNBR 680 up there. And he was just in, in an interview <laughs> and just in casual in passing. He was like, yeah, you know, because he's a big he, he enjoys gambling on college football and stuff like that. So he's like, you know, I've mainly been passing my time uh, over these last couple months. I opened a TVG account and been betting the ponies. So I retweeted that out, and I was like, you know, I how <laughs> many people, how many people, whether it be athletes, retired athletes, people that are just in limbo, uh, have done the exact same thing. It's got to be a compelling yeah, number, I would uh, have to imagine. If Tom Tover,
4: he's got like a goatee or something like that. That's like the ball yeah. guy, right? Yep. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. he's entertaining. Um, you know, look, with no sports really going on, we're on TVG, we're on NBC, we're on Fox. Uh, people are really, you know, getting the chance to look at it. I, when I go through Twitter, I mean, I'm on Twitter all the time. So many new people that said, hey, this is only like my second week ever betting the horses. And look, I hit the pick three. They're excited about it. You know, and, and uh, it's one of these, uh, when I, I used to entertain groups at Santa Anita. And the consensus of every group that I uh, spent the day with uh, was, I had no idea that this was this much fun. It was like everybody to a to a group was like, "Wow, I, I, you know." Th- people get inti- they just get intimidated horse racing and the and the racing form. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so intimidating. But when you finally experience it, it is it is just a joy. It's just a magnificent sport with magnificent animals. It's exciting, and uh, we've got a lot of. We've got a lot of work to do in the next few weeks, and, 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 and uh, making sure that those people who are uh, looking at horse racing for the first time, that we try to keep them, that we want to you know, be positive, that we don't want you know, uh, to t- turn them off in any way. This is a great time for us to shine in our sport, and we've got to do whatever we can uh, to be as inviting to new uh, fans as possible.
1: Well, one of the best ways to do so is to uh, dole out some winners. You have uh, the the (laughs) time to be able to stay with us through this next commercial break. We'll talk a little bit about some of the weekend cards. Okay, very good. We're talking to George Ortazar from TVG, from Santa Anita, actor, you name it, man of many, many trade poker as well. Stay with us. We'll continue our conversation with George O. right after this.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and rental cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel
0: channel
2: streaming live
0: the leader in internet talk radio voice america.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to Mike at the Mike Abadier show.com.
2: Now back to this week's program. Closing things out here with uh, Mike Abadir with George Ortizar And we're talking Santa Anita opening things back up. Um, George, I mean, I mean, we can we can go wherever you lead us like Friday, Saturday, um, wherever you want to start. Is there a horse or two that jump out at you or is there a, a best bet? A, a, you know, anything that 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 comes right to your attention, like set the scene for us for the first like, day or two of racing? Well, I mean,
4: I am ridiculously looking forward to Santa Anita. I've been handicapping, I've been, you know, lo- I love the product I-, I see. I haven't really looked at another track, but I have to, you know, uh, touch on this, even though I don't know a whole lot about it, uh, because again, I've been really studying the Santa Anita cards. Uh, really cool to see Monomoy Girl return Saturday yeah. and racing return at, at Churchill Downs. So um, I, don't, I don't know a lot about that race. I really haven't looked at it, but uh,
2: just knowing she's that she's in a great spot. She's, I mean, she's going to be really tough cool. to be. Yeah, that's a loaded card. I mean, she's it's a really good spot for her because there's... There's just nobody else in there that's up to her level, so it's a great spot to make a return to the races off of the kind of um, you know layoff she's been off. And that's it. I'm glad you mentioned Churchill Downs because if you're someone out there who just loves to play the races, a great compliment to the Saturday Santa Anita stuff would be the Saturday Churchill stuff. It is excellent. I've uh, I've dived into that card from top to bottom. Really, really good. And glad you mentioned that one, uh, George. So I mean, this was nice we heard we're going to be like. You know, back into it this weekend, Georgie. We got Churchill, we got <laughs> Santa Anita going, we got Golden Gate going. I mean, if any of you folks are out there and you're live in this Golden Gate Pick Six, this thing is going to pay massive. It was real tricky today in that huge mandatory payout. So, um, the the big top tier level of, of horse racing is back. So, uh, where are we going to make more some than money? Do you week? know, I think I might hit the uh, the one six. Me too. No, I think <laughs> I might be one. It was, and it was like those weird middle-priced horses that yeah. that make it the most difficult. <laughs> right, it wasn't right. just like one fifty to one yeah. shot and a bunch of other logicals. It was eight to one, seven to one, yeah. weird in between horses. I the, even
1: like to play those. But they no, me the ones too. That and those I are who I play in on. Yeah, these
2: are. This was a tricky sequence the way it's played out. There have not been any like real solid key horses throughout the entire sequence that I think people, even the, the horse that won the first leg who got bet, it was not like a, a race where you're going to be singling that horse. That horse had not raced in a long time. I think a lot of people were actually trying to beat that one. So um, great handicap. Yeah, and then get the get very next life.
1: race uh, at the very next race, the, the, my least favorite of the three uh, Santa Anita shippers, you know, comes in and, and wins the, r- right out of the gate, knocks me out. <laughs> and right. then, and uh, three. There, yeah, <laughs> But Hey, look, uh, coming back to Santa Anita for a second. I want to, Maybe pose this to both of you guys, direct your attention to race three tomorrow, five and a half furlong sprint, uh, optional claiming race. And if you look in the outside here, we got a heavy favorite, Tale of the Union. It's a Baffert runner. This was a $925,000 purchase. Hasn't run in nearly two years. It's going to take a lot of money tomorrow.
2: What do you guys oh, and think the, And this a three road? in there is an interesting horse, too, because th- that was the horse who went and ran in the Rebel and then in the Arkansas Derby after beginning his career, so impressive in the Calbred ranks, and, and he's a really nice animal, too. We're talking about Galilean, who was a $600,000 purchase, so that's a loaded little little third race with, you know, the nine going to take a ton of money. Um, I think but what do you guys eight,
1: think about when, you, when you're coming off two, a two-year, nearly two-year layoff? No, that's I tough, mean, man. if anybody's going to get him ready, it's Baffer, right? But I mean...
2: That's a short price to take. Yeah, you're only going five and a half, which is I, nice. I, uh,
4: you know, I looked at that race and I and I thought that the Baffert charge has to really come back with signature Baffert workouts. You know, I mean, usually, you know, he's a uh, he's you know superb at, at at getting him ready off the layoff. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he won at all, but. It hasn't been that, those blazing bullet workouts that you consistently see from Bob Baffert. So I think that Taylor Union, I think he's vulnerable. Uh, the class of the race is the one that you talked about, Gino, I think is Galilean, who, you know, he ran in the Arkansas Derby, ran in the Rebel. He's got some of the best overall thoroughgraph numbers, and I always use the thoroughgraph sheets uh, to help me uh, with handicapping. But the one I'm keen on is Matt Chew's horse, Silken Prince. Who just ran a thoroughbred number that would destroy here. I mean, that was a spectacular race last time. And I've become really close friends with Matt Chu, uh, who I think is a wonderful trainer. And, uh, and, uh, he thinks this one's ready to fire as well. He's got the Dean Valdivian, who knows him, uh, working, you know, for Matt Chu's style of workouts, working very well leading into this race. And, uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't, uh, discount the chances of Silk and Prince because, I think that Taylor Union could be vulnerable. I just don't see those Bob Baffert, you know, bullet works uh, coming into him. And I think he might need a race. And uh, I, I think I even heard or read somewhere that Bob Baffert himself said he might need a race. So uh, I think maybe he, he could be a bet against. But Galilean looks strong with Pratt and John Sadler. Um, but give a, give, a, give a look to Silk and Prince as well.
2: So, so that, yeah, if that's you're the number one at six to one. Sorry, Gino, go ahead. No, I was gonna say. So with your same approach, Georgie, I want to mention one more horse. If we're taking the hey, let's play against the nine approach, and maybe we're gonna use a, we're gonna play against right. Tale of the Union, and we're gonna use a few others in here. Give a look to the four, knee deep in snow. Okay, you look at his last two starts, and he was on the synthetic at turf at Turfway Park. I think you can very easily put a line right through those and say, you know what, maybe he just didn't like the synthetic, and he actually ran pretty well when he was a third in. uh, In December at Turfway Park So he comes back on January, doesn't run really well And then he's sent to the bench for a while What I like about him, if you look at that maiden Special weight win at Churchill We know that he can sit And get a nice trip He might be able to really work out A really good trip in here Galilean's going to take money Tale of the Union's going to take a lot of money Maybe he just sits right behind them And if Tale of the Union's a little short If Galilean's a little short If they battle, he might get the trip Maybe be able to even get a little bit of a head start On a horse like Silk and Prince from the rail So make sure to throw the the four in Along with with your one And if you're using Galilean If you're trying to beat Tale of the Union Knee deep in snow could offer you some real nice value and Shelby Shelby Reese's numbers
1: are pretty strong. Super, super uh, for ninety cannibal. plus days super away. Cannibal. Yeah, yeah, she's good off the layoff. Super
4: strong, and Reese's got live, you know, live uh, runners Friday, live runners Saturday. Um, they certainly look good. And uh, this one's never been here at Santa Anita. Never run at Santa Anita, mm-hmm. but the workout on May eighth was pretty good. So uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the, the, it's I think that one could certainly win. Look, certainly look
1: good uh, breaking the maiden. Moving on in the card, what other races uh, jump out at you guys?
4: Well, I mean, I I am going to probably use it as a single in many. I, I like doing multi-race vets. And uh Sadler's got a horse in the 6 that I think is is you know, when you say okay, is there one single today? I mean, it's uh I, I think it's Arden's Dream. Arden's Dream to me clearly the best run in the world. Uh has got I'm the best runner in the race, <laughs> sorry, not in the world, in the race. Uh has <laughs> got uh, is has got some, uh, you know, some of the, by far, the, the the class of the race, the best graph numbers in the race. And last time he was in for a tag, he, like, he crushed by five. Um, so, to me, Arden's dream uh, is probably the, the most probable winner on the card
2: and that's probably a single in the late pick four, I think, too Like, I looked at, to me, you're looking at that race And maybe you can make a case for Oh, marvelous me right next door Who's coming back to the dirt and you're getting Pratt to jump aboard But it does look like the nine is a, is a Real standout in here This is a horse who, just two starts back, was beating Optional 40s, and you're in for 25 Just because they got nowhere to run <laughs> Some of these horses are going to be right, running right. In, in races that you look and you're like Maybe this is a little softer, why are, is this a big drop They, they just gotta run now <laughs> You know, a lot of these barns are like right. We're just looking for places to put them, so that's probably a good horse to use. And maybe, maybe you can get a single right out of the way in in the late pick four. And I wouldn't dismiss uh, Serapio
1: Figueroa either. He's he's done a pretty nice job.
4: uh, No, no, no question that that horse can uh, can run a little bit as well. The and moving forward in the pick four, some of the other races are little they're a little uh, more contentious. So even with Arden's Dream winning. I think uh, there's a possibility for a good payoff, and you know, in the ninth race, you got a bunch of uh, lightly raced uh, you know, maidens, and they all look pretty good as well. Uh, I think Palford's got Big Mel in there, so uh, Big Mel bought they you know brought like eight hundred thousand at auction, and Lane Way looks pretty good, and uh, and, and throughout there's uh, there's a long shot in race eight that I like called Legend Emma, who I think from a pace standpoint. Uh, might be able to steal the race. I Every mean, now that you're always trying to find, there's I always try to follow angles that I like playing, like Lone speed or straight maiden droppers, um, you know. And, and uh, I think that Legend Emma has got a chance to, to uh, I think it's got one horse to put away. If you could put away that one uh, horse, the Legend Emma could uh, could steal that race wire to wire, where most of the contenders are closers.
1: We got about 4 minutes left. What about moving on to Saturday's card? Have you had a chance to handicap that card as well?
3: Yeah, I
4: have looked at it as, as well and uh Saturday's card uh has got a millionaire in there, right? It's got a another Bob Baffert millionaire that's uh that's just uh crushing and uh and and uh, looking good called Himiko and they paid a million dollars for that one in race number 3. And again, he uh, she's got those those Bob Baffert kind of bullet type workouts. In fact, the one on the 16th, the best of 111, and uh, bred impeccably for the turf. And this is a five furlong sprint on the turf. I think uh, she's like six to one, and um, and I like her chances a lot. There's some runners that have run already. Uh, John Sadler's got one, Nevada, in, in that race who just came in second despite breaking slow and uh, and some other good ones, but. Uh, here's a here's a Philly that uh, daughter of American Pharaoh, Uh They paid a, a million dollars for her, and uh, usually, you know, he, he brings these uh, and and kicks them off on the dirt. But this one's bred so well. The Thompson number is uh 364 for this one. Uh, so bred so well for the turf and been working uh, brilliantly. I think that uh, she's going to do really, really well, and, and it, it, it would be my best bet of the of the day uh, at a at a really good price.
1: That is six to one. Race three, number five, Hemiko on the turf. And for any of our listeners that utilize Brisnet. Past performances, we're looking at a DPI of thirteen point six eight, and that's probably one of the higher ones you'll see for a first-time starter. If uh, for those of you who handicap using that methodology, that's a good single, man, or that's a good play of the day, man. Anytime you say six to one, piques my interest. That's for darn sure. <laughs>
3: There's
4: a you know what are the angles? When you talk about angles, I'm always looking for angles, and, I, and I'm always trying to bet those whether they come up uh, uh, here and some other track uh, angles like, uh, like I talked about earlier how uh, top jockeys always um, you know, win most of the races. I love betting when a top jockey shows up on a really small barn on a horse that you would think, like, what, what is this guy doing, you know, uh, riding for Bob Bean? What that? What is that? So, you know, I know as a jockey agent, if, you can convince uh, a jockey agent to ride your top horse, and you're not a big barn. You better have a really good chance of winning. Otherwise, that jockey agent is never going to talk to you again. So, one <laughs> of the angles that I think you know, people who are who are listening, if you see a top top jockey showing up on a barn, and you go, "What is he doing right for this barn?" That jockey agent was sold a bill of goods. And, you know, he better be right or that jockey agent is never going to talk to that trainer again. So I always thought that was a great angle, uh, among some other angles, is try to find a a top jockey for a small barn.
1: That's a good angle. I like that one, too. And by the way, in the very next race, Multiplier is going to be taking a lot of the money in race four. Kershaw kind of interests me, and it's not because Gino loves Clayton Kershaw so much, I kind of like it when I see that, uh, that, uh, that a horse – and we're going to see the same thing with Cassie a little bit later on, where they're maybe entered in one race or they were targeting one race, and then all of a sudden they're scratched out from Oakland, and you see them coming over to California. I, kinda like that. I kind of like that. Sometimes maybe I'm over-reading that a little bit, but uh, Kershaw winds up here. I know he was supposed to go on the last weekend at Oakland on that last Saturday, I believe, if I remember yeah. correctly. And uh, I, I've been a big fan of what Abel Cedillo has done, and uh, Phil D'Amato is always a uh, sound uh, trainer when it comes to my money. Anything else in the rest of the card? We've got to wrap up here, but um, if there's anything else you want to yeah, li- throw I, out there.
4: I like Kershaw. I like Kershaw better than Multiplier. I think Multiplier, I mean, almost upset at 33-1 to 1 in, the, in the San Anita handicap. That was huge, but uh, with, uh, I, I think Kershaw's got the capability of of running a faster race than multiplier. So I I, I like your angle. And maybe just didn't like Oakland Park, but that comeback race at Santa Anita where uh, he crushed by three, that's way good enough to win this race.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And that's all the time we have. So we will leave you then with that double, race three, race four. It's a five, four, cold double. George, man, thank you so much. We love having you. Time flies by. Unfortunately, I ran out of time here, Thanks, but George. we'll have to grab you again and, and talk a little more Santa Anita once you get into the groove of things. Thank you for listening, everyone. We appreciate your listenership. Thank Stay you guys. safe, be good, and we will see you guys same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.